Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, it is written, Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not be designated according to the order of Aaron. And then in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12, it says, For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing, concerning priests. And this is clearer still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. The writer refers to the Levitical priesthood and says very clearly that the Levitical priesthood could not provide perfection, that no one could become perfect through the Levitical priesthood. And certainly the Levitical priesthood had other shortcomings. For example, there was no way that you could possibly know your God through the Levitical priesthood. You had many opportunities to resolve the matters concerning sin, but there was no way that you would ever be able to have the opportunity to actually know your God through your obedience to the commandments or through your repentance from your sins. That was not something that was made available through the Levitical priesthood, which was defined through the law of Moses. And the Levitical priesthood was, of course, responsible for enforcing the law of Moses to ensure that the Israelites would live in obedience to it. Instead, the maximum benefit that you could ever receive through your life of repentance and obedience was only to obtain blessings in your flesh, as was described in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But, of course, no one would ever live in obedience to the commandments to the extent that was required, which was all of the commandments, Therefore, everyone would live under the curse of God, as described in Deuteronomy chapter 28, because no one would ever live in complete obedience to the commandments, not enough as would be required according to the law. But something that I find very fascinating about Hebrews chapter 7, especially as is described in verse 13, is that the Lord Jesus is spoken of as a person who had no place in the Levitical priesthood. He had no place at the altar in the temple of God. He had no place before the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was contained. He had no place there. He had no place in the temple. He was not recognized to be a priest. He would never be recognized to be a priest in Israel. I find it very interesting to observe that because I think a lot of people misunderstand the role that the Lord Jesus would have there in Israel. The Lord Jesus did not come for the purpose of setting up the Messianic Kingdom in such a way that he would then be the high priest there in the temple, as well as the king 
over all of the land. That was not what he came to do. He actually came to die for our sins, be resurrected from the dead, and he did not come in order to be a part of the Levitical priesthood. He came to establish the real, true priesthood, the priesthood of the living God, to establish a new law, a new covenant that would have nothing to do with the covenant that was already in effect. At the altar in the temple, there was fire, and that fire was burning for the purpose of consuming sacrifices and offerings. And when the Lord Jesus died for our sins, that came to an end. The notion of atonement was over and propitiation went into effect, which no longer required any sacrifices or any offerings of any kind ever again. The entire sin issue between man and God came to an end. The Lord Jesus now serves as our high priest. He serves as our priest in the true temple, the true tabernacle of God in the kingdom of heaven, not in the copy that we had here on earth, and certainly not in the copy that will be constructed in the future here on earth. Again, he will then have no place at the new temple that gets constructed in Israel when the Levitical priesthood gets reinstituted, gets reformed, and is established as the priesthood there in Israel, he again will have no place at that altar where that fire is burning. There are many people today who also have altars in their temples, in their tabernacles, or in their churches, and they call them that. They call them altars. And on these altars, there may be no real fire, but abstractly from the perspective of come down and bring your offerings and sacrifices, come down and get right with God. Through that, there is an attempt that has been made by many in the Christian world and derivatives thereof, where people have made an attempt to try to keep the Levitical priesthood alive in a certain way. And again, while there may be no explicit fire burning, it is assumed that there is an altar where people can present their offerings, which again rejects the truth that the Lord Jesus no longer holds our sins against us. The Lord Jesus is serving at the true altar of God, where there is no need for fire to be burning for the purpose of consuming sacrifices and offerings. That is not how the Lord Jesus serves us. He has no place in the Levitical priesthood. And I have to say, in many ways, he has no place in the pastoral or ministerial priesthoods that exist today, that have existed ever since he rose from the dead, for the most part. He has no place in those priesthoods either. He still retains total and absolute authority in his own priesthood, in his own kingdom, in his own temple, at his own altar. He serves his people there. And I do believe, at least I have been given the indication, that many people truly do not understand this. The Hebrews would have certainly had trouble understanding this, would certainly have had trouble embracing this, especially with the presence of the temple there in Jerusalem. They would have had a very difficult time turning away from that to acknowledge the truth that Jesus had no place there in the temple, and he will never have any place there in the temple, and it's okay. He doesn't need to have a place there. There was never any need for him to have a place there, and the living God never intended him to have a place there. He established the law in such a way that there was no way he could ever have a place there in the temple. If the people were to be true to the law of Moses, 
then Jesus would have never been acknowledged to be a priest. It's very important to understand this because there is a separation between the Mosaic Law, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant, which the Lord Jesus has instituted as a result of his death, that they are not the same. There is no way to hybridize the two to come up with something else. You cannot live simultaneously in both covenants as a believer. It's simply not possible. The Lord has established things in such a way that it could not take place if you were to be true to the word of God. The old covenant is certainly alive and still available for us to use today, but it was given for unbelievers. It was given for the purpose of directing a person of driving a person to the point of absolute despair so that they would be adequately prepared to receive the grace and mercy of God because that's all that they would have left available to them. Because if they were to be true, if they were to be honest to what God said and to what they know is true, that there is no way that perfection could possibly be obtained through obedience and repentance and they would have nothing left to turn to but the grace and mercy of God which is where the Lord Jesus is, which is why he came, which was why he accomplished what he came to accomplish so that you could receive the salvation that he is offering to you. I was just mentioning that eventually there will be a reestablishment of the Levitical priesthood, that there will be a temple rebuilt there in the land of Israel. And it will be a very difficult time for a lot of people. Many people there in the land of Israel will have to embrace the reality that the Levitical priesthood has been reinstituted. People will once again be confronted with the reality that perhaps there may be a God. Because believe it or not, most of the people in Israel do not really believe that there is a God. That is not a commonly held belief there, unless it is convenient. But if people do believe that there is a God, that does not mean that they believe that he is adequately or correctly testified of within the Scriptures. They may not really believe that, or if they do believe that, then they don't believe it enough to look into it for themselves to discover what is really found there, what is contained there, so that they may truly know themselves. I would consider that to be an expression of unbelief, because quite frankly, if somebody really does believe that there is a God, I would think that they would want to know who he is. I would think that they would want to have some kind of an experience with him, some relationship with him in some way. I would expect that to be the case. Otherwise, they will live as though he does not exist. And that, to me, is a better indicator that shows that they don't really believe that he truly exists. But once the temple is rebuilt, I personally believe that there will be many people who identify themselves as Christians who will, in one way or another, want to be connected or affiliated with the temple there, not realizing that Jesus has no place there. And if Jesus has no place there, then we as Christians, we as believers, we as children of God have no place there either. We have no place there. And the priests who will have positions of authority there will certainly have no authority over my life, will certainly have no authority when it comes to my faith. I will have no place there in the temple or near the temple, or have any associations with it whatsoever, because I know that my God has no place there, and that he will have no place there. I honestly don't think that a lot of Christians have given this a lot of thought concerning this, and I would like to take this opportunity to mention it, because I think it's worth understanding. I think it's really worth understanding, especially when you consider the book of Hebrews. 
because just as it will be in the future, so it was also back then, that the Hebrews had a very difficult time disassociating themselves from the temple there in Jerusalem, that the believers, those who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, had a difficult time disassociating themselves from the temple because they still believed that they had a place there. They still believed that, as I can see in the historical account given to us in the book of Acts. To me, it seems quite obvious that the early church still believed that. And so when the writer of this letter says that Jesus has no place there, I believe indirectly he is expressing to them that they have no place there either, and that they will never have any place there. Now the writer goes on in Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, where he says, And this is clearer still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life, for it is attested of him you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect, and on the other hand there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now there are two things that I would really like to mention here that I believe are definitely worth our attention. The first thing is, of course, that the writer refers to Melchizedek and the fact that the Lord Jesus is established as a priest, not because some law says that he is going to be a priest, not because he fulfilled some kind of physical requirement here on earth, but because he resurrected from the dead, because you couldn't kill him, because he's not going to die, because he is alive, and because he's going to live forever. That should give you an indication that he is not constrained by physical issues, by physical concerns, and by physical requirements. What are you going to do? You're going to tell the Lord Jesus that he has no place, he has no business being our priest? Are you going to pass judgment on him in some way? Are you going to hold him on trial and perhaps execute him as a result of violating the Mosaic Law? There's no way to do that. He is the living God who cannot be killed, who cannot be destroyed. His life is indestructible. He is eternal. That should give you some evidence that perhaps he may have some authority concerning these things. Because if there is no way to destroy him, and he is who he claimed to be, then you certainly should give some attention to what he has to say. And what he has said is that he is going to be established, that he is established as our priest, not because he fulfilled some physical requirement here on earth, but because he transcends all things concerning physical requirements, and he will not be destroyed. He is a priest forever, not because he is a descendant of Melchizedek in some way, but he is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, in the likeness of Melchizedek, as was described through Melchizedek, that Melchizedek was a person who no one knew where he came from, and no one knew where he went. He was considered to be eternal in that way, but he certainly was not eternal. I don't believe that he was a manifestation of a living God. We are talking about someone, the Lord Jesus, who is in the likeness of him, who is according to the same similarity as he was, but certainly not the same. In this context, he is certainly someone different from Melchizedek, but he is definitely closer to Melchizedek than he is to the Levitical priesthood. 
and in that sense, we should definitely give attention to him. And the second thing is, is found in verse 19, the first thing that I wanted to mention is that because of his eternal nature, he is a priest forever. But the second thing, which I think has even greater importance, is where he says at the end of verse 19, that through him, we are able to draw near to God. Again, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, it is written, For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. A better hope through which we draw near to God. Now, that certainly is much better. I mean, I certainly can appreciate the value and how wonderful the hope is that we can now draw near to God, whereas we certainly could not before. And that's the point. And that is through the Levitical priesthood, there was no opportunity to draw near to God. Through the Melchizedek priesthood, again, there was no opportunity to draw near to God. But now you can have hope that you can draw near to God. And according to the truth that he has revealed and the promises that he has expressed, you can draw near to God because of what he has done. And that is certainly much greater. For the writer to write this to the Hebrews, those who would still have this attachment to the Levitical priesthood, this would be a very powerful statement. This would be something very important for them to understand. Because if they are still tied to that which is dead, then they have not drawn near to God. And they will not draw near to God. And today, the same problem exists with the religious institutions that have been established to be a copy of the Levitical priesthood, to have altars that are copies of the altar in the temple of God, which was a copy of the true altar that the Lord Jesus serves at. People are instituting copies of copies. In fact, I think many priesthoods are established as a form of Levitical light, whereas they adopt not all of the laws, but those which they believe that they can find a way that they can make applicable in their own personal lives here today. I believe that for the most part, people live in a copy of a copy, and not even in the reality of what we have at our disposal even right now. And we should pay attention to this, as the Hebrews should have paid attention to this back then, that today, if you are born again by the Spirit of God, If you know the Lord Jesus, if you have been resurrected from among the dead because of his resurrection from among the dead, if he is your priest, then he has provided you with a way to draw near to your God, whereas you had no way to experience that before. And believe me, my friend, this is going to have nothing to do with an altar, and it's going to have nothing to do with offerings and sacrifices. It's going to be completely, and it is, completely based on the reality of the offering and the sacrifice that he made, that he did once for all, and brought all sin to a point of finality, to the extent where your God does not see you in the midst of your sinfulness anymore. He does not hold your sin against you anymore. And you must believe that. You must believe that. Because if you don't, if you don't believe that, then there is no way for you to draw near to God. And there are so many ways that you can actually live in unbelief. You know, if I confront people concerning this and I ask them, do you believe that the Lord Jesus died for all of your sins, past, present, and future? And people will say, Amen, brother. I will be burned alive before I would ever say anything that was contrary to that, before I would ever renounce that. 
But then they also believe that if you sin, then you have to find some way to obtain forgiveness. Well, you cannot believe both. Either you believe that you have been forgiven through what Jesus did for you, or you don't believe that and you believe that you still have to find some way of obtaining forgiveness. And people justify this in so many different creative ways. They say things like, well, positionally you're forgiven, but practically you're not. Well, what does that mean? That means that you're not going to be forgiven through what the Lord Jesus did for you until after you die and go to heaven. And between now and today, you're going to have to live in this state where your God still holds your sins against you. And you know what's going to happen through that? This is what happens. You don't draw near to God. That's what happens. Nothing happens. Nothing of real value happens. When you have an opportunity to draw near to him, you won't. It's not possible to draw near to him because you're not going to draw near to him on the basis of truth. People believe that they draw near to God. What I am saying is a different kind of drawing near. I understand that, and I certainly do need to take a few minutes to describe the differences. In most cases, people are thinking that drawing near to God has to do with you can draw near to him and confess your sins so that he will forgive you, and then you can experience this brief moment of peace, believing that he doesn't hold your sins against you, And this, of course, is something that you can enjoy until you sin again. And when you do, you're going to have to go through the same process again. That for the most part, that's the Christian life for so many people. It's incredible how many people actually believe that. And so it's not that they don't believe that Jesus died for their sins, past, present, and future. It's everything else that they believe in addition to that, which negates that, which which completely destroys the value of that because they believe one thing and then they believe something else that contradicts it. And through the thing that they believe that contradicts it, they lean heavier on that. That's actually how they live their daily lives, which prevents them from drawing near to the living God because they still believe that practically he holds their sins against them. And because of that, they can never be loved by their God. You can never be accepted by your God, except during those brief moments after you confess and ask him to forgive you. Only then can you experience some opportunity to draw near to him. But let me tell you something, my friend. You may feel better because of what you have done. You may feel better because you went to some altar and laid your offering, laid your sacrifice on it your sacrifice of apology and confession and things like that. You may feel better, but let me tell you something. Your God is going to feel really rejected by that because sin is so much more evil than that. It is so evil, it is so wicked, that it required his death in order to provide propitiation for it, and you won't even believe that. You don't believe that because if you did, you wouldn't be going through these religious gymnastics in order to obtain something that you already have, but you don't really want it. You don't really believe it, because if you did want it, if you did believe it, you would rest in the truth of what Jesus already did, and then you could draw near to him. But if you won't believe it, you won't draw near to him, and you will never experience the reality of what is described here in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Well, that may be we. That may be me and those who I know. But it certainly is not going to be you or those who you know. 
If you do not separate yourself from the old covenant, if you do not separate yourself from the law, if you do not separate yourself from the Levitical priesthood or any other priesthood that's an imitation, and a pretty lousy one at that, an imitation of the Levitical priesthood, you must dump it. You must separate yourself from it. You must let go. Realize its purpose and value. Appreciate that. Be thankful for that. But turn to the new covenant and the living God, the Lord Jesus, who can now draw you near to your God so that you can know who he is. He is who you have been called to. Turn to him for who he is and embrace him and receive all that he has for you. You must remember that if you are positionally right with God, but practically you're not, then you must see it for what it is. And that is that when it comes to his love for you, you may positionally be loved by your God, but practically he doesn't love you. You may positionally be acceptable to your God. He may accept you positionally, but practically he does not accept you at all. In fact, it would be more correct to say that practically, he's practically disgusted with you. So you have to really choose. You have to really choose what to believe. And if you are going to believe that practically you are not forgiven, that practically you have to keep your forgiveness in some way, then you have to also believe that he is disgusted with you practically and that there is no way you can truly draw near to him. You cannot draw near to a God who is practically disgusted with you. You cannot truly do that, not in the way that he has created you to. You have been created by your God such that you need to be practically loved and accepted completely, not just practically, but completely. And if you are not able to receive that, then there is no way that you can draw near to him. The Lord Jesus has made the complete provision so that you can draw near to your God. The only way that you will not draw near to him is if you will not believe the truth of what he has accomplished. You must turn to him for who he truly is if you are going to draw near to your God. A good follow-up to this program is definitely the series of programs that I did on Jesus, our High Priest. And I would definitely like to encourage you to listen to those for further study on this subject. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net